Section 49 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cassiopeia Sparks. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 12, Part 4. What a journey that was! The regimental surgeon had long ceased to speak, but the scenes he had described went on continually presenting themselves before my mind's eye. To escape from this train of thoughts which persecuted me, I began to look out of the carriage windows and try to find destruction in the prospect of the country. But here, also, pictures of the horrors of war presented themselves to my vision. It is true that no violent devastation had taken place in this neighborhood. There were no ruined villages smoking there. The enemy had effected no lodgment there. But what was raging there was perhaps still worse, that is, the fear of the enemy. The Prussians are coming! The Prussians are coming! was a signal of alarm through the whole region. And though in traveling past one did not hear the words, yet even from the carriage window their effect was plainly to be seen. Everywhere on all the roads and lanes were people flying, leaving their homes with bags and baggage. Whole trains of wagons were moving inland, filled with bedding, household furniture, and provisions, all evidently packed up in the greatest haste. On the same car would be some little pigs, the youngest child, and one or two sacks of potatoes, beside it on foot man and wife and the elder children. That is how I saw a family making their escape as they moved down a road near me. Where were the poor creatures going? They themselves very likely did not know. It was only away, away from the Prussians. So men flee from the roaring fire or the rising flood. Frequently a train passed us on the other line, wounded, always and again wounded, always once more the ashy faces, the bandaged heads, the arms in slings. At the stations especially, one might feed on this site in all its variations to satiety. All the large or small platforms on which one usually sees the traveling population waiting, or cheerfully standing, or walking about, were now filled with prostrate or cowering figures. They were the invalid soldiers who had been brought from the field or private hospitals in the neighborhood and were waiting for the next train which might serve for the transport of the wounded. There they might have to lie for hours, and who knows how many removals they have already passed through, from the battlefield to the first aid station, from thence to the ambulance, from thence to a movable hospital, then to the village, and now to the railway, whence they have still the journey to Vienna before them, then from the station to the hospital, and from thence after all these long tortures, perhaps back to their regiment, perhaps to the churchyard. I was so sorry, so sorry, so terribly sorry for these poor fellows. I should have liked to kneel down before each of them and whisper a few words of compassion to him, but the doctor would not allow me. When we got out at a station, he gave me his arm and took me into the station master's office. There he brought me some wine or some other refreshment. The nurses carried on their work of mercy here also. They gave the wounded men drink and food, 
such as they could hunt up, but often there was nothing to be had. The provisions in the refreshment rooms were generally exhausted. This movement at the stations, especially at the large ones, had a bewildering effect on me. It seemed to me like an evil dream. All this running hither and thither, this confused pell-mell, troops marching out, people flying away, sick bearers, heaps of bleeding and complaining soldiers, sobbing women wringing their hands, shouts, harsh words of command, crowds on all hands, no free passage anywhere, baggage being sent in, war material cannons, on another side horses and bellowing cattle, and amongst them the continuous sound of the telegraph, trains rushing through, filled or crowded rather, with the reserves coming up from Vienna. These soldiers were brought along in third and fourth class carriages, nay, also in baggage and cattle trucks, just in the same way as cattle to be slaughtered, and regarding it as a matter of fact, I could not repress the thought. What else were they in reality? Were they not like the cattle marked out for slaughter? Were they not, like them, sent to the great political market, where business is done in food for powder, what the French call Cheyacanon? A mad roar, was it a war song, pealed out and drowned the rattling sound of the wheels. One minute, and the train was gone. With the speed of the wind it bore a portion of its freight to certain death. Yes, certain death. Even if no individual can say of himself that he is sure to fall, yet a certain percentage of the whole must and will fall. An army marching to the field, as they sweep along the high road on foot or on horseback, may have a touch of antique poetry about it, but for the railroad of our modern day, the symbol of culture binding nations together to serve as the means for promoting barbarism let loose. That is a thing altogether too inconsistent and horrible. And what a false ring also has the telegraph signal used in this service, that splendid sign of the triumph of the human intellect, which has enabled us to propagate thought with lightning speed from one land to another. All these inventions of the new era, which are designed to promote the intercourse of nations, to lighten, beautify, and enrich life, are now misapplied by that old-world principle which aims at dividing the people and annihilating life. Our boast before savages is, look at our railroads, look at our telegraphs, we are civilized nations. And then we use these things to increase a hundredfold our own savagery. My being forced to torture myself with such thoughts as these, and these only, as I waited at the station or pursued my way in the train, made my grief still more deep and bitter. I almost envied those who merely wrung their hands and wept in simple pain, who did not rise up in wrath against the whole hideous comedy, who accused no one, not even that lord of armies, of whom yet they believed that he was so, and that it was he who was keeping suspended over their heads the misery that had come to them. It was late at night when I got to Konigenhof. My traveling companions had been obliged to get out at an earlier station. I was alone, in fear and anxiety. How if Dr. Bresser were prevented from coming? What step could I then take in this place? Besides, I was, so to speak, broken on the wheel by the journey. 
quite unnerved by all the experiences of grief and terror that I had passed through. If it had not been for my longing for Frederick, I should have wished now for nothing but death. To be able to lie down, go to sleep, and never wake again in a world where things go on so horribly and so madly. But preserve me from one thing at least, to live on and know that Frederick is among the missing. The train stopped. Tired and trembling, I alighted and took out my hand baggage. I had taken with me a hand basket, with some linen for myself and sharpie and bandages for the wounded, and also my traveling dressing case. This I had taken quite mechanically, in the belief in which I was brought up that one could not exist without the silver cases and baskets, the soaps and essences, the brushes and combs. Cleanliness, that virtue of the body, corresponding to honor in the soul, that second nature of educated humanity. What a lesson had I now to learn, that there can be no thought of it at such times as these. That, however, is only consistent. War is the negation of education, and therefore all the triumphs of education must be annihilated by it. It is a step backwards into barbarism, and must therefore have everything that is barbarous in its train and amongst others, that thing which to the cultured man is so utterly abominable, dirt. The chest with materials for the hospitals, which I had looked out for Dr. Bresser in Vienna, had been given over with the other chests to the care of the aid committee, and who could tell when and where they would be delivered. I had nothing with me except my two pieces of hand baggage and a bag of money round my neck containing a few hundred florin notes. With a tottering step, I crossed the rails to the platform. There, in spite of the lateness of the hour, the same confusion prevailed as at the other stations, and the same picture was always repeated. Wounded men, wounded men. No, not the same picture, one still worse. Konigenhof was a place which was overfull of these unfortunates. There was not an unoccupied room in the whole village and now they had brought the sick in crowds to the railway station, where hastily bandaged up they were lying about everywhere, on the ground, on the stones. It was a dark, moonless night, the scene was illuminated only by three or four lamps on the pillars. Exhausted and thirsting for sleep, almost for the sleep of death, I sank on the unoccupied corner of a bench and put my luggage on the ground in front of me. At first I had not the courage to look about me and see whether amongst the number of men who were busy passing to and fro, here one might be Dr. Bresser. I was almost persuaded that I should not meet him. It was at least ten chances to one that he would be prevented from coming, or that he would get here at another hour than the one fixed, for there was no longer any regularity in the service. My train had certainly arrived much later than it was fixed by the railway regulations. Regulations another civilized conception, and so it was now set aside along with the rest. My undertaking seemed to me now a perfect lunacy. This fancied call from Frederick, could I then believe in mystical things of that sort? I certainly had no foundation whatever. Who knows? Frederick was perhaps on his way home. Perhaps he was dead. Why was I seeking for him here? Another voice began now to call upon me. Other arms were stretched out to meet me. Rudolph, my son. How he would have been asking for Mama, 
and not been able to get to sleep without his mother's kiss when he bade good night. Whither should I turn here if I did not find Bresser? And the hope of finding him had of a sudden become as small as the hope of the lucky number among the hundred thousand lots. Luckily, I had my bag of money. The possession of banknotes affords always a means of getting out of difficulties. Mechanically, I felt the place where the bag should have been hanging. Good God! The strap by which it had been fastened had been torn off, and the bag was gone, was lost. What a blow! And yet I had not recourse to any complaint against my destiny. I could not lament. How hard fortune is hitting me! For at a time when misfortune was falling in floods on all sides, to complain about a little misfortune of one's own would have made one blush for one's own selfishness. And besides, for me, there was only one possibility which could alarm me. Frederick's death. All the rest was nothing. I began to look at all the people present. No, Dr. Bresser. What to do now? To whom to address myself? I stopped one of the men passing. Where can I find the station master? You mean the director of the sick depot? Staff Sergeant S. He is standing there. He was not the person I meant, but perhaps he would be able to give me information about Dr. Bresser. I approached the place he pointed out. The staff surgeon was speaking to a gentleman standing near him. It is a pity, I heard him say. Here and at Turnau, depots have been founded for all the hospitals of the theater of war. Gifts are flowing in in mass. Linen, food, bandages, as much as you can wish. But what is to be done with them? How are they to be unpacked? How sorted? How sent out? We have no hands. We could occupy a hundred active officers. I was just going to speak to the staff surgeon when I saw a man hurrying towards him in whom, oh joy, I recognized Dr. Bresser. In my excitement, I fell on the neck of my old family friend. You, you, Baroness Tilling, whatever are you doing here? I am come to help, to nurse. Is not Frederick in one of your hospitals? I have seen nothing of him. Was this a disappointment or a relief? I do not know. He was not there, and therefore either dead or unhurt. Besides, Brasser could not possibly know all the wounded in the neighborhood. I must search through all the hospitals myself. And Frau Simon, I asked next. She has been here now some hours. A splendid woman. Quick in decision, prudent. Just now she is busied in getting the wounded who are lying here carried into empty railway trucks. She has discovered that in a village near, at Horonawas, the need is the greatest. She is going there, and I am to accompany her. And I also, Dr. Bresser, let me go with you. Baroness Martha, where are you thinking of going? You are so delicate and unaccustomed to such hard, bitterly hard work as this. What else have I got to do here? I said, interrupting him. If you are my friend, Dr. Help me to carry out my purpose. I will really do anything, perform any service. Introduce me to Frau Simon as a volunteer nurse, but take me with you. For mercy's sake, take me with you. Very well. Your will shall be done. The brave lady is there. Come. End of section 49 Recording by Cassiopeia Sparks